listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. excited tonight about the message that we're going to bring. Last week we began a message entitled The Most Important Gift. The Most Important Gift. And for many people when I said the words the most important gift they went straight to the manger and they saw the baby Jesus because at this time of the year that's what we think of. Of course Jesus the reason of the season. But that's not the most important gift that we're talking about because that gift has already been given. Hello? That gift has already been given. The most important gift right now is our lives, your life, my life. If we were to stand before God right now and ask God this question, just a simple question like this, God, what do you want? You know what the answer God would give every one of us? I want you. Isn't that incredible? God would say, I just want you. So we're talking about us. We're talking about our lives as being the most important gift, that which we give to God. We looked last week at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. The word is the same as present, that you present, that you gift wrap, that you give to God your body as a living sacrifice, a gift that's given unto God. So we are to present our bodies, present, present, gift, give our bodies to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. With that thought, we then jump to Proverbs chapter 6. Why did we jump there? Because if we're going to give our lives as a gift to God, we need to find out the things that God doesn't like. We need to know the things that are displeasing to him because I don't want to be a tear in his eye. I want to be a smile on his face. I want God to be pleased with the gift that I give to him. So we jump to Proverbs chapter 6. Why did we go there? Because plain and simply, God gives a list of seven things that he hates. Seven things that God says, I hate, that I dislike with such great intent. Six things, or seven things rather, which are an abomination to him. And what we concluded from last week is if we're going to give our lives to God and it's going to be pleasing, maybe we need to start right here and find the things that are not pleasing and make sure that they are not a part of our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight to Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, reading through Verse 19, and I'll have to be honest with you, I thought I had two more weeks to do this message this week and next week, and I looked at the calendar, and I realized Miss D stole my next Wednesday. It's going to be a great night. Miss D's Christmas is a phenomenal night where she tells the Christmas story Miss D's way. So you need to be here. All the kids, the youth, everyone, we're going to have Miss D's Christmas story next Wednesday. So guess what? Tonight you're getting a two-for-one deal. 
Come on, you like those. This is the Christmas bargains. You are getting a bargain in the house of God. You're getting two messages for the price of one tonight. So stay with me. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going in for a ride. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. It's not that God can't make up his mind how many. It is just showing us, metaphorically speaking, that God is showing that this list is not exhaustible. Meaning what? It's not comes to the end at seven, then God shuts it off. It's showing that the list does continue, but he specifically is giving us these seven things. So these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord amongst the brethren. Say with me, seven things. Tonight we're going to look at those seven things. The first one that we're going to look at tonight is the proud look. Or eyes that are arrogant, as I believe the Message Bible puts it. Literally, a proud look is having haughty eyes, or being offensively proud. The word haughty there means feeling oneself superior to others and showing it by treating them with cold indifference and scorn. Have we ever done that? Yes, we have. Having an arrogance about us that will almost, not almost, that will turn other people off to God. An arrogance about us that will cause people not to look and say, I want to be a part of that, but that will cause people to look and say, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to ask you tonight, and Bishop's going to come with a mic, I want to ask you tonight, what do you think it means to have a proud look? Anyone tonight? Who wants to talk? Being Having a lot of pride. Okay. Having a lot of pride. Anyone else? Come on, don't be shy tonight. Who's going to speak out? Come on. Thinking you're better than other people and you don't even know them. Come on. Good. Kathleen? Arrogant and self-righteous. Arrogance and self-righteousness. Anything else? Mr. Dan had his hand up now. Anyone else? Why do you think God hates that so much? Let me ask you that question. Why do you think God hates that kind of reaction? Stephen? Because everybody's equal under him. Because everyone's equal? He has no favorites? It's a turn-off. It's a turn-off. It's a turn-off, sure is. Anyone else? Come on, help me out tonight. Don't be shy. Because God is love. Fantastic. I mean, how can you add to that? I mean, that is incredible. Isn't that right? Phenomenal. Bishop, don't go away because I'm going to have you jump up tonight. Having pride in our lives or having a proud look or having feelings of superiority, placing ourselves in a position better than others. These are major problems that unfortunately too many of us as Christians suffer with. Proverbs 16 verse 18 and 19 says these words, Pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall or a stumbling. And it goes on to say in verse 19, it's better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil or the plunder with the proud. 
Literally, God's saying it's better to have nothing than to think that you've got everything and be deceived. Come on, how many knows who wants to deceive every one of us? Satan wants to deceive us. You see, through pride, we think that we are elevating ourselves, but really all we're doing is we're pushing others down. And in pushing other people down, we have done nothing to change our status. We have given the appearance that we've lifted ourselves up, but we are in the same place that we were before. And really, we have gone backwards in our walk. Listen to this one. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, in the last part of that verse, he says these words, God resists. That's a strong word right there. When God says, I resist, that means God stands in opposition to. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I don't need anyone or anything else. Pride says, I can make it on my own. Pride always pushes everyone else away or pushes, as I said, everyone else down. It's an inner vice that causes us to have disdainful attitudes towards others by producing a false image of ourselves. Through pride, as others have said tonight, we'll begin to think that we're better than everyone else. So therefore, other people will feel that they're not good enough. No wonder God hates that. I said, no wonder God hates that. How can we ever be an effective witness if we position ourselves in such a place that people feel they could never meet our standards? That we could never be like them. We've got to be an effective witness. That's what God has called us to be. A witness. But yet, if we're so high and mighty, we turn more away instead of bringing or drawing people in. The Greek word for pride is hupophania. And I probably killed that word. I'm glad Doc Stone is not here tonight. But it's hupophania. It's a combination of hooper, H-U-P-E-R, which means over. And phenomia, or whatever you want to pronounce, which means to appear. So therefore, if you put those two words together, pride literally means to over appear. Or if you're dyslexic, it means to appear over. It means self-elevation. This definition, what we have just read, is the complete opposite message to what Jesus came to give. Jesus didn't come and say, I'm here. Jesus met people right where they were at. Jesus didn't think of himself, and my goodness, he was better because the Bible says he had no sin. Come on, that made him better than anyone else who has ever walked upon the face of this earth. He was perfect without no sin, but yet he still loved everyone. He still met people at their point of their need. As Christians, you and I have got to get this into our hearts. We've got to get this into our minds. You're no better than them. You're no better than the sinners that are out here. We've just discovered that through repentance, we can receive grace and mercy from God. Come on, every one of us today are sinners who have just been saved by grace. We're no better. We've just experienced the answer to life. But how often do we allow that proud look? 
burst through in our lives. The Bible says, to whom much has been forgiven, much is now being required. To whom much has been forgiven, much has been required. Come on, I've had much forgiving. God has had to have mucho forgiveness in my life. Tons and tons he's had to give towards me. And how dare I elevate myself and look down at those people who are struggling with the same things that I struggled with. But now I know the answer and now it's my chance to show them the answer. But yet if I position myself here, they will never see the answer in my life. Many times the one with the proudest look is the one with the most skeletons in their closet. What they say, if you live in a glass house, (laughs) put the rocks down, buddy. So many times the people who feel that they are so great and so grand are the ones who are doing that to mask the skeletons, the shortcomings that they have in their life. We read 1 Peter 5, verse 5, the last part of that verse, that God resists the proud. Let me read verse 6, if I may. It says, therefore, humble yourself. Make yourself low, God says. So if I want to be a pleasing gift to God, I've got to make myself low. Make myself low. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you. In due time. That's the kind of exaltation we need. Is that God would lift us up. That God would lift us up. You know what it says? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I wonder how many of us live above the hand of God. Therefore out of his protection. Because of our pride and our arrogance. In our lives. What we think pride will do. Pride will never do. Pride will never exalt. Pride will never lift up. It will only just tear down. Oh, it will tell you it will. But it's not the truth. A proud look. God hates that. God hates pride. Second thing that we see is God hates a lying tongue. I heard someone say this. Well, you know what? In the Ten Commandments, God didn't say, Thou shalt not lie. No, he didn't say thou shalt not lie, but he said in Proverbs chapter 6 that he hates a lying tongue. So whether it's in the Ten Commandments or not, it's in the Word of God, so that means it's in there, so it means we need to adhere to it. God hates a lying tongue. Something great about telling the truth. You know what's so great about telling the truth? You won't have to worry next time what you said last time. It's really liberating to tell the truth. Because you don't have to sit back and say, oh my God, what did I say last time? Because I've got to make sure I get my story straight. Listen, the truth is always going to make your story straight. Come on, come on. If you tell the truth, you're never going to have to worry next time what you said the time before. Lying places someone in such a bondage. Why do you think, and Bishop's going to come with a mic and help you, why do you think tonight God hates lying so much? Come on, why do you think that? Uh, you're deceitful, you, you deceive people, and you, sometimes you're going to hurt somebody that don't even deserve to be hurt. Okay. okay. Anyone else? Abraham. Because the devil is a liar. Okay. 
And God himself cannot tell a lie. Okay, cool. Anyone else tonight? Don't be shy. You're in family, you're at home. God hates someone who lies. But pastor, it's only a white lie. It's only a little one. (laughs) You better hope God's not colorblind. (laughs) Come on now. You better hope that God's not colorblind. It's just a little lie, pastor. No matter the color or no matter the size, it's still a lie. Come on, no matter the color, no matter the size, it's still a lie. And can I help you out tonight? No one wants to be friend with a liar. They'll see you coming and run for their life. No one wants to be around people like that. That's why I love God so much. He's saying I hate these things for what reason? To help us. He's trying to help us. He's trying to instruct us. He's trying to show us. Because you see, when we live a life that's pleasing to Him, we'll live a life that's pleasing to others. I didn't say everyone will accept the life because some people won't understand it. But you know what? We'll be pleasing to those around. That people will see our good work. And they themselves will glorify God. But here's the problem. A lot of people think, well, if I've got a problem with a lying tongue, then I'll just keep my mouth shut. You can't keep your mouth shut and stop a lying tongue. Why? Because the issue is not the tongue. The issue is the heart. The issue is the heart. If you don't believe me, turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, reading verse 33 through 37. It says these words as Jesus writes or records these words. It's listed as a tree is known by its fruit. It says either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil things. A lying tongue. But I say unto you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, declared righteous, and by your words you will be condemned. By your words. God says, I hate a lying tongue. A lot of us turn around and say, oh, it's just a harmless lie. There's nothing to it. We can label that as an idle word. There's just nothing really of major importance. But God says, even for the idle words, there are things that we may think don't carry much weight or significance to them. God says, all of those things that come out of your mouth, which comes directly from the source of your heart, You're bringing judgment upon yourself. A lying tongue. A lying tongue. You see, what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. There's a number of reasons why people lie, and I wrote down a few of them, why we do it. Some people lie because they want to have the best story. They want to have the first story. They want to have the breaking news. So therefore they lie, make up something that's not true to have the best story, to have the biggest fish, to to make a lie. Another reason people lie is to make people like them. 
If you're lying to make people like you, you're probably better off without those type of friends. Because they're not real friends. And they'll never be real friends. Come on, if you're trying to lie to convince someone to be your friend, probably that's not someone you want to be with, and it's definitely someone that they don't want to be a part with. Another reason is we lie so many times to make ourselves look good. Here's a good one. I've done this one a few times, unfortunately. We lie to stay out of trouble. (laughs) You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. You notice that? Have you ever taught your kids how to lie? Some of us got an A. We passed the class. We've got the degrees in lying. We didn't have to teach our kids. They just learn all by themselves. It's called the sin nature. It's a nature of man, a fleshly nature that we've got to fight in our lives. That's why God wants to put a new heart inside of us to change those things. But it's amazing to have the best story, to make people like us, to look good, to stay out of trouble. The list can go on and on. But as you begin to look at those things, it's so funny that as you spell them out like that, you can see how foolish we are to think that lying will ever help us. It doesn't make people like us. It doesn't give you the best story because your story is soon going to be exposed and then people are going to look and say, what's the deal? It becomes a bondage, a glass prison. A glass prison is a whole lot worse than a prison with bars because a prison with bars, there is a stopping point. You see where that is. But you know what? When you become a lie, you literally place yourself in a glass prison that you're living life, but you're living in a bondage in your life. Matthew talks about idle words, those words that we think are harmless, fun, no big deal. Those lying words which are just idle or as we think, but they will destroy our lives. Remember the boy who cried wolf? He had his sheep eaten one day. I said he had his sheep eaten one day. And you know why? Because the wolf really came one day. And there was no one there to help him fight him off. Because other times he had shouted, Wolf! And they all ran and there was nothing to see. When people have no confidence in what you say, they will have no commitment to who you are. Here's a bonus for you. A bonus. Exaggeration is just another way to spell L-I-E. Exaggeration is also a lie. Did you know that? Stretched truth. No, it's not. It's just a lie. It's just a lie. Point number three, you're hanging with me tonight. Come on, say, Pastor, I'm hanging with you. Come on, let's go. Number three, God says, I hate this. God says, I hate hands that shed innocent blood. Now, this can be so obvious here. Of course, God hates murder. We see that. God doesn't want us to murder. Of course, God hates murder. So a lot of us would sit back in this one and say, wow, I can relax on this. I don't think I've killed anyone in my life. I hope not anyway. But is this just what it means? What do you think when the Bible says that hands that shed innocent blood... What else can that mean? Has anyone got anything that they think that could mean? Mr. Haas, you've been reading my message tonight, haven't you? You hurt someone's character. Come on. Destroy someone's character. 
Bishop, where are you at, man? You can kill a person with your tongue. Anyone else? Got anything? I, I got something. I, uh, I led a life uh, of, uh, I was a slave to addiction for about 15, 16, maybe 18, so <laughs> I don't know, see, uh, to alcohol. And, uh, and that's to, to live that life is to live a lie. I mean, you know, everything's a lie. Everything's a lie. And uh, the, uh, and, I, and I was freed for that, from that a long, long time before I got saved because I wasn't saved the last year. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't drink, but I did, I, you know, you mentioned the word that I didn't have, you know, you got to have the right heart and, uh, and I didn't have the heart. I didn't have the heart, uh, of a Christian is what I didn't have. And, uh, uh, it, all those things that I, that I lived even without drinking, I had the ego, which is the pride, uh, I probably exaggerated uh, a lot of stuff. No, you lied. Lie. You lied. There and you go. Uh, it, uh, it, it, the, you know that, and and even the the, the way, you know, and, and I went to churches a, a lot, and uh, well, not a lot. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I went to churches. You just lied in church. <laughs> yeah. Help us, Jesus. But. Uh, I'm glad he's at the back. Lightning bolts are about to come down. Uh, I went to church a lot sometimes. <laughs> uh, and, and even there, you know, uh, it, the way I worshipped was not nearly as free. I didn't worship because I wasn't saved. And, and even after I got saved in this church, and I was in this church when I got saved, uh, I, I still had a pretty straight back and uh, an attitude that, you know, this is, and, and which was not honest. I was not, you know, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do in this church. And, and my Bible up there in the front, you'll see on where I wrote in there on January the 31st, something to the effect, it was paraphrased, that I, I used to care about the way people thought of me when I worshiped, not anymore. I don't care if I if I jump up and down and holler and you know that's okay cool. and that's not me that wasn't me that was not the way I thought y'all to act in church. Cool, and, cool. Uh, but you see, as we turn around and say, God, I want to present my life to you, things are going to change. Come on, we're going to change because we're going to realize what's important to Him is the most important thing. And like Miss Emma said. What I think about hands that said shed innocent blood is a lot like what you think. I think murder in the sense of killing someone and taking their life is just one side of the coin. But I believe it also has to do with us murdering someone's character. Or as the New Living Translation says, killing the innocent. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7, we read about love. It's the love chapter. But verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 says these, Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, the picture that we see of love, which is God, the image that we ourselves want to become, the image that we see here in this verse is love always trusts. It always trusts. But here's another way to translate this verse. Love believes the best of every person. 
Think about that. Love believes the best of every person. Is there fault in my life? You better believe it. Is there fault in Patricia's? Fred at the back shouted, Amen. I agree with you, brother. Is there fault in our lives? Is any of us perfect? Not one of us. Are there areas of concern in our lives? Definitely. But that does not give us the right to go about and expose everyone's faults and tell them to the world. Doesn't give us the right. Quit being so suspicious and cynical about everyone. Quit taking every opportunity to have a go at them. For one thing, you probably don't know the whole story. And if you did, your response would be different. I read a story once about this guy. He walked onto a public transport, a bus, and he was on this bus. And he sat on one side of the aisle and his two children sat on the other aisle. And he just looked outside of the window. While his kids were running up and down the aisle, screaming, kicking the chairs, hollering and doing all these things. Well, on the bus, all the people started making eye contact with each other, like voting who was going to be the spokesman for the bus. And all of a sudden, one person spoke up and said, Sir, do you mind? Your children are out of control. What is your problem? And the guy who still was gazing out of the window turned and said these words. Oh, I'm so sorry. You see, we just left the hospital and the children just lost their mother. All of a sudden, those people who thought those kids were out of control, now everyone on that bus loved those kids with a love that they never thought they had. The compassion that went out. Because all of a sudden, they realized the facts of what's happening. How easy is it for us to say, I can't believe that. To destroy someone with our mouth. The car- oh, who do they think they are? Perhaps if we knew their whole story, we would know exactly why they do what they do. Huh, why would you break that perfume box? It could have been sold for so much, a year's wages. But Judas that day did not know that that lady, a former prostitute, had been touched by Jesus and her life had never been the same. And she came and she gave everything to God. You see, we're so quick to point the finger and say, how dare they? But do we know the story of their lives? You see, what begins with a thought forms in words and becomes actions throughout our life. Matthew 7 verse 12 tells us, for with what judgment you judge, you're going to be judged with the same measure. Oh, I don't like how I've been judged. Maybe you better watch how you're judging. It's so easy for us to murder someone's character. If you would look at the armor of God, and I've got to fly tonight because I want to make, get through this message. But if you would look at the armor of God, there's one place that is unprotected. And it's the back. How many times in church or how many times in life does people say, I've got your back? I don't want people to get my back. I want people to cover my back. Because when they say, I've got your back a lot of the time, and they're giving you hugs and they're rubbing your back, they're feeling for soft spots so they can stick in a knife. 
There is one place in the body that is unprotected for what reason? That we're to cover each other's back. That we're to be there to support each other. Not to expose their weaknesses. Not to expose who they are. Not to shed their innocent blood. With our hands, our actions, our lives, we can easily tear down that which God gave us the ability to build up with. Don't tear someone's life down. Build them up. But for the grace of God, we are just the same way. Give them hope. Are you with me tonight? Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. I love how the Message Bible puts it. It says, a heart that hatches evil plots. In order for something to hatch, it first has to be incubated. It has to have a nesting place. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says these words, keep your heart. Say with me these words, guard your heart. Come on, you've got to guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it, out of what? Your heart springs the issues or the boundaries of your life. One translation says, your heart sets the course of your life. Another translation says, it's where life starts. It starts at your heart. But can I say this? It not only starts at your heart, but it can end at your heart. An evil heart. What do you think an evil heart is tonight? Come on, help me out. What do you think an evil heart is? When God says, protect yourself from an evil heart, what do you think that is? When you always have these um, ugly thoughts and just evil thoughts in your heart all the time, nothing nice. Okay, anyone else? You have been reading my message, Mr. Uh, is this in your message, a heart that's never been changed? An evil heart is a heart that has never been changed. That was my next part, Mr. Only playing, only playing. That was good, that was good. I just lied like bishop in church, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't like it. Yeah, go this way. I hear you. Lightning bolts. Lightning bolts are coming down. But think about it. Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Do you know one of the primary messages that we will find in the longest chapter in the Word of God is this? To give our whole hearts to God. David says, with my whole heart. Having a whole heart given over to God. If we don't have a whole heart given over to God, then what we're doing is we're allowing places and spaces for Satan to come in and plant his seeds that will hatch, that will be incubated, that will grow. Proverbs 27 verse 19 tells us, as water reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. As water reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. You see, evil is that which is opposed to good. Evil is that which fights against God working in our hearts and in our lives. So if Satan can steal our hearts... He really has our total being. Why? Because a wicked heart will produce wicked response. That's just how it goes. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10 from the New Living Translation. It says these words, The human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? God does. 
But I know, God says, I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. And I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. You see, our heart speaks about relationship with God having relationship with God. And therefore, God says, I hate a heart that is out of relationship, a heart that devises evil, a heart that does not look for good, but rather follows the pathway of evil. Our heart involves our intellect, our awareness, our mind, our inner person, our inner feelings, our deepest thoughts, our inner self. Satan wants no more than to pollute the very source, the center of our lives, to put doubt, to put distrust, to evil place evil plots into our heart. Satan wants to separate our lives from God and will stop at nothing from doing so. Turn to your neighbor and say, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Number five, God hates this. He hates feet that are swift in running to evil. Feet that race to do wrong, the New Living Translation says. The Message Bible says, feet that run rapidly to evil. Listen to the scripture in Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says, How lovely and beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good, great things, who proclaims salvation. What a contrasting picture. God says, How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. But then there's the thought of those that bring bad news. Undermining the goods. We've got to watch today where our feet are taking us. Especially when we read such scriptures as Joshua 1 verse 3. It says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. New Living Translation says, everywhere you go, God's promise to the children of Israel was, I will give to you. Every place that your foot goes. They should have thought about that when they chose to doubt God. And they started walking back in a wilderness because they inherited sand for 40 years. Everywhere their foot went, God truly gave to them. We better watch because God hates feet that are evil. But we better watch because maybe the inheritance that we're receiving in our lives has nothing to do with God. It's the fact that our feet are in evil places. Doing the wrong things, carrying us. Our feet are the transportation, the mode, the means that takes us place. Perhaps our feet are taking us in the wrong places, going to evil places instead of taking us to pastures of God. Psalms 23 promises that Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because he leads me. God wants to lead every one of our lives. We must desire God and His way for our lives. There's many evil pathways, but their destination and their inheritance is all the same. God hates feet that go in evil places. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. New Living Translation says a false witness who pours out lies. We already discussed lying, having a lying tongue, but these Uh, This is a little bit different. Why? Because a lion tongue will only tell the truth if it suits their advantage or suits their advantage. Otherwise, it's going to lie. But you know what? A false witness premeditates lies. It concocts schemes that are made up of lives in order to carry out its evil designs. 
false witness is someone who gives testimony wrongfully. You see, a witness is someone who is called upon to give a testimony of something that they have seen. An eyewitness account. In order to discover the truth, they have to believe that which they have heard from the witness. They have to trust the integrity of the one of which has been asked. That's why today when they stand, they will place their hand upon a Bible. They don't even really do that now in a courtroom. They used to place a hand upon a Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Therefore, a false witness is one who will twist the story. It's not the truth at all. Oh, there may be partial aspects, but a false witness will not tell the truth. Proverbs 21 verse 28 says, A false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. In my footnotes of my Bible under there, it says the damaging results of a lie continue even after the liar is dead. A false witness shall perish. They'll die. But those who hear what he says, it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. That's why God hates a false witness, because it never ends. The lies continue and the lies go on. So important that we have integrity and honesty in our lives. We are called to be His witnesses, to testify firsthand of His greatness, how our lives were changed. But unfortunately, there are many false witnesses in the church today. Remember the blind man? What happened to you? Oh, Jesus, that guy, he's a fake, he's a sinner, he's a fraud. The blind man looked at those people and says, I don't know all of that. But let me tell you what I do know. Once I was blind... But now I see. Where have all the witnesses gone? Come on, where have all the witnesses gone? And last but not least, one who sows discord amongst the brethren. I think this is one of the things that God hates the most. Because I believe here it speaks of those who disrupt the church. The very heartbeat of God. Those that come in and spoil church for other people. I wrote a blog on this yesterday. The title of my blog was, You may be able to handle it, but others may not. You see, gossip is another way of identifying what we're talking about right now. It says, one who sows discord. You see, it only takes one person to cause damage. And unfortunately, we hear it all the time. Oh, everybody thinks this or everybody. You know that word, that gossip, that negativity? It always makes itself to be the voice of the masses. But so often it's the voice of just one or two. There's so many other things that I could say tonight. But I know time has gone. But can I say this once again? God hates those who destroy church for other people. There are so many things that we can see throughout the Word of God that God looks upon and says, oh, please, no. I hate those things. And this year, if we're making a declaration to God and saying, God, here I am, and we're presenting our lives to Him as a living, pleasing sacrifice, we need to make sure that we are truly a pleasing offering 
gift, a present to him. This year, I like what Aaron said, it's not just the season of giving as children of God, it should be a lifetime of giving. But as we look at the season of giving, why not ask yourself again, what gift am I giving the Savior? Tonight we've looked at some areas, really briefly and quickly, flown through things that should have taken weeks to really cover. But yet we can begin to look and say, God, I can take those things with your help out of my life as you change my heart and change who I am. Why? Because God, I want to be the gift that you desire. I want my life to be the most important gift to you this year. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.